Thank you guys for leading us this morning in worship through song. Thank you guys for being here. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see all of you here, and it is August. We are in August, and so uh, so, so thankful um, you're here. And if you're new with us, a uh, special welcome to you. Thank you for being here, and I hope you have a great experience this morning and are welcomed well. And in your bulletin, like Dylan mentioned, there should be a connection card, which is just a way of, of you telling us a little bit about yourself. And um, don't worry, we're not the CIA. We're not going to do anything weird with your info. Um, we, just, we just are really thankful you're here and would love to tell you thanks for being here. That's truly what we, we, we have uh, in mind. We want to know you. And um, so it's great to be here with you guys. And hey, I just want to tell you, man, it was, I would just... This week was just an awesome week of church life together. And uh, I was just thinking this morning how blessed I was. Just Tuesday night, we had a very awesome time of prayer um, outside. We had a big fire, um, uh, controlled. Um, and uh, Dylan led worship, and we were just praying for one another and singing songs, and it was great. And, uh, and then yesterday, just uh, an awesome turnout uh, for our parade, uh, for the float. We had 50 people from our church participate in that, which was wonderful. And before we even started the parade, we found out we won best in show for our float, which was awesome. And so I can take absolutely no credit for that. Uh, that goes to those people who showed up on Friday and helped Miss Kim decorate, and we handed out a thousand, um, a thousand ice cream sandwiches yesterday. Thanks to Tim Steele for hooking us up with a, a, a big freezer and a power generator, and we kept those things cold. And uh, and and so it was just an awesome day, man. People were blown away, and and. Uh, a great way to love on our community. And if you missed out, man, I hope you get in on this stuff in the future because it's, it's a blessing to be a part of, and it was a lot of fun. Um, so I'm thankful that, uh, that you are here with us today. And um, Dylan, thank you for preaching last week. Dylan did a great job uh, preaching last week and brought a great message from the book of Hosea, which I encourage you to listen to if you weren't here. Um, before that, though, a few weeks ago, uh, we were reading in the Bible about this man named Stephen, in the book of Acts, which is, if you've, if you've been around here for a little while, you know that we've been going through the book of Acts in the Bible. And we got to this man named Stephen, um, who, who lived during the first century. He lived shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection. And Stephen was a Jewish man who, whose life basically had been turned upside down by Jesus Christ and by seeing that he, he really rose from the dead. And Stephen left Judaism because he believed. He believed that Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth really was God, and he believed that Jesus is the Savior that the Jews uh, had been uh, expecting for centuries and centuries into which uh, the Old Testament scriptures point. They've been pointing to Jesus, and Jesus was the fulfillment. He was the one born in Bethlehem. He, he was born of a virgin. He, was, he fulfilled all of their scriptures. And so Stephen began to tell people about Jesus. He was excited about the gospel and what Jesus had done to, to, save, to save people um, from their sin and from hell and from Satan. And so Stephen began to tell people in Jerusalem specifically about this Jesus. And as he did that, the Holy Spirit of God started doing miraculous things through uh, Stephen. And remember, there's, there's one God and three persons, God the Father, 
God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And at this point, God the Son, Jesus, had come to earth. He died, resurrected. He'd gone back to heaven. He descended. He was at the right, sitting at the right hand of God, waiting for the time to come back to judge the world, which he will do in the future. When he left, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And that's what he had done at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And so now the Holy Spirit is filling the church believers with power. And as Stephen was preaching in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit was prompting him to do signs and miraculous things, signs and wonders among the people. And these signs and wonders were showing that Jesus wasn't dead. They were showing the living power of Jesus Christ. And the Jews and the Romans had killed Jesus, remember, but now the apostles in Stephen we're doing the same types of miracles that Jesus had been doing before they killed him. And so the Holy Spirit had given Stephen power now to perform these miracles in order to validate, validate the truthfulness of the gospel. Miracles don't supersede the message of the gospel. They're not more important than the gospel. However, they, they undergird it, they support it, they validate that Jesus is God. He did die, he did rise again. And so... As Stephen was doing this, as he was preaching about Jesus, eventually uh, Stephen's Jewish listeners there in Jerusalem became offended by his message uh, because he was declaring that Jesus is God and that Jesus rose from the dead. They didn't believe that God could die, right? That's an offensive message. How could Jesus be? God, God could never die. They wouldn't believe that. They, they were, he was declaring to them that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one. That Isaiah 53 and all the Old Testament prophecies prophesied about, he's the one who came to save the world. And so what happened is a number of Jewish men uh, grew angry with him, and um, they, uh, they seized him, they arrested him, and they took him to court. And the court was called the Sanhedrin. It was the highest court in the land for the Jewish people. And as Stephen stood there, he had to stand in front of a court of probably about 70 men, 70 Jewish leaders, uh, who would judge him. As he stood there, before ever saying a word, Stephen's face began to shine like the face of an angel. That's what it says. The Holy Spirit filled Stephen in such a powerful way that Stephen's face was actually radiating. He was physically glowing the glory of God to this council that was about to judge him. And all of the men in the council saw this, and they stared at Stephen. They were trying to figure out what was going on. And they decided, though, to continue the trial anyway. And as Stephen used the Old Testament scriptures to show them that Jesus is the fulfillment of, of scripture, they, they were outraged by him. And it says that they all attacked him at the same time. They dragged him outside of the city limits like they had dragged Jesus out of the city limits. And they began to smash Stephen with large stones until he died. And, and as this group of men killed Stephen, his last words before dying were, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Those were the last words he said. Stephen's heart had been so radically changed by the love of Jesus Christ that, that even while he was being murdered, he prayed that God would have compassion on his murderers. And... These were also, he knew, the same men who had killed his Lord, Jesus Christ. Stephen had compassion for these men. Why? Think about that. Why? I mean, I don't know if I could do that, right? You think that. It's like, that's, that's incredible. 
I think he was, it, it talks about him being filled with the Spirit about four different times in this passage. I think that Stephen had compassion on these men because he knew how great their future agony would be in hell unless they turned to Jesus. He knew his suffering was temporary, but theirs would be forever unless they were forgiven and unless they turned to Jesus in faith. And we talked about that event, uh, his martyrdom as the first Christian martyr in the history of the church um, a few weeks ago. And today that kind of brings us to where we're at. We're going to see what happened because of this in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. So if you have your Bible with you, please open to that if you haven't done that already. And if you didn't bring a Bible today, we'll, we'll put this passage up on the screen so you can follow along. Let me pray for us before we read this. Lord, we just admit that we need your help today, and we want to thank you first for this opportunity you've given us to gather today as your church, uh, to gather to worship you. And as we open your word, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate it for us, God. Show us what it means. Um, please sanctify us by your truth. Please draw us to yourself. Please make born again all who belong to you. Please encourage and strengthen those who are trusting in you today. We need you, Lord. We, we know we can do nothing without you. And we ask that you would please guard us, our hearts and our minds now. We ask that you would move in power among us, Holy Spirit. We thank you for wanting to do this for us, and we pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Acts 8, 1 to 13 is what I'll read. So right after Stephen's death. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, 
he was amazed. That's where we're going to end today. We'll read more about Simon next week, too. But the past few weeks, as, as we've talked about this passage and Stephen's death in particular, I've said that Stephen's death really changed the course of human history. And I don't think that's an overstatement. The, the first three verses of today's passage tell us here what happened in Jerusalem as an immediate result of Stephen's death. And we read about four things that happened in, in the, just the first few verses. First, on the same day when the Jewish leaders killed Stephen, it triggered a massive citywide persecution against all the Christians in Jerusalem. Okay? So, so the Christians uh, no longer had the favor of their Jewish neighbors like they'd had back in chapter 2. The, the Christians had held on to the message of Jesus too long now. Right? They'd pushed the message too far. And it was very clear now that Christianity was not a subset of Judaism. Okay? Christianity was not a Jewish sect. The, the Christians were giving far too much glory to this Jesus of Nazareth that the Jews thought should go to God alone. And when the Jewish men of the Sanhedrin killed Stephen, it triggered an eruption of hate towards Christians and violence toward the Christians in Jerusalem. And this great persecution happens that said affect men, women, and obviously their children that very day against all the Christian men, women, and children in Jerusalem. That had to be terrifying. And second now, because of this great persecution, almost all of the Christians fled from Jerusalem. Okay? And they were scattered, it says, throughout the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria. So almost all of the Christians fled except for the apostles. And the, the text isn't clear exactly why or how the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but it was God's will for them to be there. They had a job to do in Jerusalem. We know that. Uh, but what is clear here is that it was not the apostles going out to the surrounding areas now as representatives of Jesus. Uh, it was ordinary, everyday Christians scattered all across the lands. And these Christians would now live among non-Christians in order to be salt and light among them. That's what Jesus had said. You were, the, you were to be salt and light of the earth, right? And, and these, these Jewish Christians, see, they were no longer, now that they, they understood, they're, they're no longer tied to the temple in Jerusalem. And so there's not this huge rush to get back to do all the religious stuff that they've been doing because Jesus was their temple now, right? Jesus was their high priest. Jesus was their final sacrifice. And they knew that he was with them wherever they went because he said that. I'm with you wherever you go. And so remember this, in, in Acts 1, right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his followers, his small group of followers at that point, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and where? And all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And now Jesus makes it happen. Jesus made this verse happen by allowing the Christians to be persecuted. So Jesus' plan was to use the persecution of Christians in Jerusalem as the means by which the gospel would spread 
throughout the land so that eventually all nations would hear about salvation in Jesus' name. That's probably not a plan the Christians we would have come up with, right? Pain and suffering in our lives are never without purpose. God is always doing something. And today's passage reminds us that God will use terrible circumstances in our lives to spread the glory of his name on earth and to give us new experiences of his grace and power. He'll use it for his glory and for our blessing. And in addition to that, which is good news, uh, this passage shows us that God wants to use all of you, all who are Christians, to spread the glory of his name wherever you go. Okay? There's no Christian who's not on mission. Th- that doesn't exist. There might people, be people who claim to be Christian who aren't on mission. There's no Christian who's not on mission. Because to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus is to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. To, that's what it means to be a disciple, to follow Jesus. And when you look around this room, I was just thinking about this, just if you look around this room a little bit and think about all the different places that we will go this week as Christ's ambassadors. It's pretty amazing. We will leave this building in a little while and we will scatter. And we will scatter to, to Burlington and to Bellingham and to Everett and to Seattle and to islands and to other states and maybe to even other countries. This group, this room right here, right? God scatters us so that we will bring Jesus to them. We are the ambassadors of Christ. We are the ones who bring Jesus to the community and to our world. This week, you're going to interact with people that that God wants you to interact with. (laughs) You're going to interact with non-believers and... And in one way or another, God wants you to love them with the love of Jesus. He wants you to to, to point to Jesus and to the hope that you have in Jesus. He's sending you out, right? Otherwise, why why not just take you home right now to heaven, right? It's like, okay, job's done. Come on home. It's not time to go home yet. For us, he's got us here. There are people out there who need Jesus. And we're the ambassadors of Christ. That's the greatest privilege any person could ever have and will ever have. That's the second thing we see in these first few verses. Third, we we read in in these first few verses that devout men in Jerusalem, they then buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. So so remember, Stephen basically, he'd, he'd quickly come to to prominence among the Christian community there in Jerusalem. He was, he was a godly man, loved by the people there. He, he obviously had a special anointing from God, and, and now he's gone. I don't know, man, if you've, ever, if you've ever had that happen, I mean, if you think about that, if you've ever had a, like somebody who in your life was on fire for Jesus, and then God took him fast, and it was unexpected. 
And it was like, what are you doing, God? Like, not that one. Not that one. That's how these guys felt. That's how the church felt. It's like, who do we have? We have each other. We're tiny, though, in Jerusalem, in the Roman Empire. And now you're going to take Stephen? Well, they grieved him. And the, the, what we read here is this. In defiance, they defy the Jewish court, basically. The Jewish court had condemned Stephen. And these devout men took Stephen's body and gave him a proper burial. And, and then they made great lamentation over him. They weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> the Old Testament law didn't allow that. The court had condemned this man, and godly men said, no, this is wrong. This man is right, and Jesus is right, and we're going to honor him, and we're going to give him a proper burial, uh, a proper burial and we're, gonna, um, we're going to mourn him. It's interesting how God works, but sometimes he takes people fast who are really following the Lord, and he does it for his purposes. And we, it's a reminder, again, that your life and my life doesn't revolve around you and me or the one we love, our spouse, our kids. It doesn't. The, the world, is, it revolves around God. Everything revolves around God. And thankfully, God is a great God, a good God, a loving God. And we can trust that, man, even when, he's, when things are happening we don't get, he's in control. And he's working out a plan, and the plan is going to come to fruition. And, uh, and those of us in Christ who, who don't reject Jesus but who trust in him will have what Jesus earned for us on the cross and through his resurrection. That's good news. Um, the fourth thing we read about in this, these first few verses is it says that the young Jewish leader named Saul, he not only approved of Stephen's execution, but he also, he was eager to ravage the other the other Christians in Jerusalem besides Stephen, right? And so Saul went house to house. Um, he entered these houses. He dragged off Christian men and women. And he says this later in his testimony in Acts, that this is exactly what he did. He dragged them and he put them in prison and he locked them up. Kids were without moms and dads, right? Relatives, I mean... Women without husbands. They, they, their life, it's like this was a mess for Christians. And so the Christians that did not flee Jerusalem fell into Saul's hands. And they were dragged off to prison in this way. And he had the authority of the Jew, Jewish leaders to do this. Um, he wasn't doing it off his own authority. He wasn't some rogue guy. He had the authority of the Sanhedrin. Go get him. So, okay, I would love to. Now Saul is going to be a really key figure. If, you know, if you've read much of the Bible before, you know that in the rest of the book of Acts, very soon we're going to read how Jesus turned Saul's life upside down. And, and uh, Saul thought he was big and bad, and Jesus showed him up, uh, showed up to him on, a, on a, a road, and he blinded him, and he said, you're nothing, Saul. You're nothing without me. I'm, I'm gr gracious and merciful, and I'm going to save you, and then you're going to go tell the rest of the world who I am and that you were wrong. And that's what we're going to see in Acts. And so that's why Saul keeps popping up here, because we need to see that Saul, he was the one who nobody thought would come to Christ. He was the murderer. 
He was the one smashing the heads of Christians, right? He was the one that nobody thought could ever be forgiven by God. And he's the one who wrote the majority of the New Testament. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. At this point, though, before Saul's salvation, Saul is, what we see here is Saul is so jealous for Judaism and for his Pharisaism that he wants to destroy Christianity. He thinks he can destroy Christianity by destroying the Christians. And the result of his efforts were the same results that we've seen throughout the past 20 centuries of Christian persecution. This is what happens because of God's grace and his power. The more that Christians are mocked and beaten and killed, the more quickly the gospel of Jesus spreads and the Holy Spirit multiplies disciples of Jesus. That's what happens. In the, in the second century, there was a Christian named Tertullian. And this is what he wrote. Listen to this. He's a Christian man, strong Christian man. Crucify us. Torture us. Condemn us. Grind us all to powder if you can. If uh, or your injustice is an illustrious proof of our innocence, and for the proof of this, it is that God permits us to suffer. But do your worst and rack your inventions for tortures for Christians. It is all to no purpose. You do but attract the world and make it fall the more in love with our religion. The more you mow us down, the thicker we rise. The Christian blood you spill is the seed you sow. It springs from the earth again and fructifies all the more. <laughs> He's not saying that in an arrogant way. He's saying those are Jesus' words. Multiplication through death. That's how the church grows and multiplies. And even for those of us who haven't been terribly persecuted, how did he multiply us? How did he make us a disciple? He killed the old man on the cross and he made us born again. He made us a new creation. And as we keep reading today's passage, we see that Tertullian was exactly right. Acts 8.4, it says, now those who were scattered about, what did they do? They went preaching the word. Okay. So the Christians had just been persecuted in Jerusalem, lost family, properties, belongings, uh, maybe some of them lost their lives. You would think that now what they're going to do is go scatter and hide and escape the persecution, right? That's not what they did. The Christians went to where the non-Christians were, and they preached the same gospel to them that got them into so much trouble. And these believers were, were preaching the gospel of God's grace for sinful people through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the same gospel we're preaching today. And remember that these were not the pastors who were preaching. The pastors at this point, the apostles, they had a job to do in Jerusalem. It was now the people's turn to do the preaching. These were lay people. This was you. This is us, the church, preaching the gospel to our neighbors wherever we're scattered, whether that's in Judea or Samaria. Wow. And the fact that the lay people preach the gospel to their neighbors, this is a very important reminder for Christians that um, one, again, God calls all of us to be ambassadors. 
And two, our kind actions towards non-Christians can never be separated from the gospel message we preach, okay? People won't come to Christ by seeing you be nice to them. It's good to be nice to them. Do all the good to everybody that you can. And at the same time, remember that the good things you do can't save you. And the good things you do can't save other people. Only trusting in Jesus can save you and them. That's the reality. We can, um, there are a lot of churches, a lot of Christians who can hide under this guise of, just call it love or whatever you want to call it. We love our neighbors by not telling them about Jesus. We just want to love them with Jesus. And that is so not like Jesus. That's the reality. Jesus was offensive. That's why Jesus had nobody at the cross when he died with him, basically. There was, there was hardly anybody there. He loved everybody with his works and with his deeds, but this is the truth. We can't ever divorce the gospel message from good works, and we can't divorce our good works from our gospel message. It's, they're both important, but it is only through faith in the gospel and not faith in our own good works that we can be made right with God. That's the truth. We do good works because we love Jesus, because we want to worship him. But man, I don't know if you've ever, <clears throat> if you've done a lot of good things, if you've poured your life out for, for, uh, for Jesus, for good cause, what you'll find is that can't fulfill you. It's a blessing to, to worship God that way, but the only thing that can really fulfill us is Jesus and a friendship with Jesus. Even the things we do for Jesus can't do what Jesus can do for us. And, uh, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a great reminder, and that's something that we want to remember as we go do work, good works, as we go preach, and uh, as we make other disciples in the world, that in the end of the day, what we really need is Jesus, and we want to show the world Jesus through our love. Um, but as we keep reading this passage, we, we start to enter the story of this specific Christian man who fled Jerusalem. His name was Philip. Philip was one of the seven deacons that the church in Jerusalem had appointed. Um, and verse 5 says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. This is one of those verses where you got to, this is where one of those verses where, okay, if I've got this thing, like I've got to read through, I'm trying to read the Bible, through the Bible in a year, praise God, but you need to stop at this verse a little bit, okay? The offensiveness and radicalness of Philip's actions here cannot be overstated. Philip, a Hellenistic Jew turned Christian, went down to the city of Samaria, which was the capital of the region of Samaria, and he preached the gospel to the Samaritans. Okay. This was unheard of. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. Okay. The Samaritans had broken off from the Jews They'd intermarried with non-Jews. The Samaritans had added elements of pagan religions to Judaism. The Samaritans, they had a different Bible. They had a different temple. And at the end of the day, the Samaritans and the Jews, they hated each other. 
In fact, when, when Jews from the north would walk down to Jerusalem in the south, they refused to walk through Samaria, even though it was the shortest route. The Jews would intentionally take a much longer route around Samaria so that they wouldn't have to see Samaritans or talk to them or be defiled by them in any way. This is why Jesus' conversation with that unclean Samaritan woman was so controversial. No devout Jew would ever take time to talk to a Samaritan. But Jesus did, as we saw in John chapter 4. And now Philip does the same thing. Philip comes to Samaria, and what's his attitude? His attitude's okay, not to hide from these people, to hide out among them, it's not to avoid them until this great persecution in Jerusalem kind of simmers down. This is what happens. Philip's heart toward the Samaritans has been totally changed by the love of Jesus. And Philip understands this. Think about the repercussions of his gospel preaching. He understands if he preaches the good news of Jesus to the Samaritans, and if some of those Samaritans trust in Jesus for salvation, then not only would those Samaritans be eternally saved and in heaven, but also they'd be welcomed into the church on earth. Stephen and the other former Jews would have to talk to the Samaritans. They'd have to sit down next to them at dinner and eat with them. Philip would have to share communion with Samaritans. Philip would have to share a common life together with Samaritans, just as the Jews had done in Jerusalem. And this is exactly now what Philip wants. Philip knows that Jesus' plan is to make disciples of all peoples, all types of peoples on earth. And Philip wants to see it happen because his heart is in sync with Jesus' heart. There is no race, there is no ethnicity, there is no social class, there is no clique that the good news of Jesus isn't for. That's the truth. And so as you and I show and tell the gospel to our neighbors and to our family and to our friends and to our community and to our workplace, we must never look at anyone and say, Jesus doesn't want that one. Jesus wouldn't want that one. Because that's not true. Jesus wants to use you to reach motorheads and jocks and punks and cowboys and drug addicts and drug dealers, and Ivy League students, and soldiers, and immigrants, and refugees, and LGBTQ people, and churchgoers, and bosses, and coaches, and moms, and athletes. And Jesus doesn't say this. He didn't say, well, you're a cowboy, so you go reach the cowboys, and you're a hipster, so you go reach the hipsters. Jesus says, you will never encounter any person I don't want you to reach with my love and salvation. Don't put yourself in a box with your own little clique. That's what he says. Don't say, I just have a heart for hipsters. What? <laughs> Great, okay, you like the hipster movement, sweet. You know what, there's 99% of the rest of the population who needs Jesus too. That's the reality, right? Jesus says, I want you to go reach all of them with the gospel. He's talking to you guys. 
and to me. Don't let any worldly label that you put on yourself take priority over your label that God has given you as a child of God. You're not a cowboy or a soldier first. You're a child of God. You're an ambassador of Jesus. You're not a Republican or a Democrat first. You're a child of Jesus. You're not an American or a Mexican first. You're a child of Jesus. And as children of God, we've got to view everyone else around us, no matter what they look like on the outside, as a human being made in the image of God who needs to know the love of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. And we all do. We all need Jesus. And thank God Philip understood this because if Philip had only committed himself to reaching Hellenistic Jews like himself, then he would never have preached the gospel to the Samaritans. And verses 6 to 8 say, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So as Philip preached to the Samaritans, repent, turn, uh, change your mind about Jesus, change your mind about what's going to save you, and, and turn to Jesus in faith. When he was preaching this, the Holy Spirit anointed Philip the same way he anointed Stephen now, okay? You see the apostles with the, doing these miracles, and then you see Stephen, a deacon, and now you see, uh, or excuse me, yeah, and now you see Philip. And, and the Holy Spirit here is prompting Philip to perform signs and wonders that, that further validated the truth of the gospel. And as he did this, unclean spirits or demons came out of many of the Samaritans, and those demonic spirits, it says, were crying out with a loud voice as the Holy Spirit expelled them from those people. And in addition to this, verse 7 says that many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So all of a sudden, they're doing the kind of stuff Jesus was doing. And one thing this reminds us of is this. All created things which includes those things that we can see and those things we cannot see, spiritual things and physical things, all created things are under the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus can miraculously restore spiritual things, like the souls of people, and Jesus can miraculously restore physical things, like the bodies of people. And at the same time, that we know Jesus can do, do that, has done it, does do it for some people. We know also that for many people, God's will for them is not to be healed physically in this life. And that does not mean that God does not love them. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, his loved ones, uh, their loved ones. Um, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. In, in God's good providential wisdom, he's doing something more wonderful through our suffering than our small minds can begin to fathom. That's the truth. 
In the book of Romans, God does give us a glimpse of what he's doing. He says that he is working together all things for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. In 2 Corinthians, it says that our momentary afflictions, uh, affliction, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so Christians, we put our faith in these promises. We have to. This is what we have. This is the word of God. And the one who gave it to us loves us. He's proved that he loves us and he's proved that all of his promises are true and that he's trustworthy. And so it was the Lord's will here to to do many miracles through Philip. (laughs) And look at how these Samaritans responded. They responded to his preaching and his miracle working with great joy. That's what it says. And those Samaritans, they they were essentially getting a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like, right? It it filled them with joy. We're talking physical, spiritual salvation. Acts 8.8 says, so there was much joy in that city, Samaria. The good news of Jesus um, and of the effects of Jesus and God in our lives are the greatest cause of joy that we will ever experience. Um, Think about it, just think about it. If you're a Christian, if you're trusting in Jesus, think about what God has given to you now in Jesus. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the fear of death. Freedom from God's wrath. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Freedom from hell. Freedom from bondage to Satan and to demons like these people in this passage had. The the removal of your sin. The removal of your real guilt. Friendship restored with Jesus. Covered by the righteousness of Jesus, of God. Loved and adopted by God the Father as his sons and daughters. Heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Filled with and sealed by the Holy Spirit. An eternity of pleasure to look forward to. The eradication of all pain, all sickness, all disease, all sadness, all grief, all panic attacks, all depression, all loneliness and fear. It's gone now for you in Christ Jesus. That's what's coming. Living in the light of the glory of Jesus forever and living under his wing. There's no safer place. And that's where you're going to be for eternity because of what he's done for you. This is what God offers to us in Jesus Christ. So how do we respond? (laughs) We respond by trusting Jesus and enjoying him forever. (laughs) That's what we do. We get the blessing, he gets the glory. That's how it works. God is so gracious. And may, may this work itself out in a practical way in each of our lives as we think about these things on a day-to-day basis because it is easy to get sidetracked by all the, all the different things we have to do and all the hard circumstances we go through. And we do need, this is why I do think it's very helpful to start your day with some scripture and prayer and focusing on Jesus because 
Otherwise, you're going to look at that iPhone or check your email or Facebook or whatever you're doing. Jesus is going to be back there in the back of your mind real fast. You need to center your thoughts on Jesus and his promises at the start of the day. That's, that's how I, I need to remember this is who I am in Christ. This is, this is what God's doing. This is what God's done for me. So now let me live my day in light of Jesus. That, that's why we need scripture in our lives. That's why we need to pray to God. That's one reason. Um, but may our, may our church be a place that if, if all of us do that, it's gonna change our church. <laughs> it's, it's gonna make our church a more joyful group of people because we will be more joyful individuals as we keep our eyes on Jesus together. And, and, and as God then works through us as joyful people to go and bring many of his other sons and daughters to glory, may there be, this is the prayer, may there be great joy in this city of Stanwood, just like there was great joy in that city of Samaria. That's what we want to see happen. Joy in Jesus. Now, in that joyful city was, of Samaria, there was, this, there was a man named Simon, okay? Simon was deeply entrenched in demonic practices. He was a magician, not in the sense of doing little card tricks, in the sense of practicing, the other, some of your translations say sorcery. That's a better translation probably. Sorcery, witchcraft, calling on demons, casting spells, okay? And the text says that Simon had practiced sorcery among the Samaritans for so long, he had amazed the Samaritans with his magic so powerfully that the Samaritans began to worship him as a god. And all the Samaritans revered Simon. They gave him this name, Great with a capital G, right? And the Samaritan said that Simon was the power of God. And so, so think about this. It's no wonder that when the Holy Spirit started working through Philip's gospel ministry, that demons started coming out of people. Because many, um, or by, by following Simon and participating in Simon's magic, the Samaritans had opened themselves up to Satan and his demons. And, and this is the reality. Demons love to take non-believers bondage and control them and destroy their lives. And, and if you don't believe that, that sorcery and demonic activity is powerful and real, this is what I would say. You either haven't lived long enough or you've tried to convince yourself it's not real. Because there are many people, I'll tell you this, there are many people in this little community that are actively engaged in witchcraft and sorcery. That's... That is truth. <laughs> Some of you, I know several of you who have told me you were possessed by a demon at one point. <laughs> now, if you are a true believer in Jesus, because it kind of gets, sometimes we get scared talking about this. Listen, first of all, we don't mess around with Satan and his demons. It's not something to toy around with. And at the same time, the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. That's reality. You don't have to be scared. If you're not in Christ, you are vulnerable. You can't protect yourself. You need Jesus. That's the truth. If you are a true believer in Jesus, it says that the Holy Spirit indwells you. Demons can't possess you, but, but demons can and will try to oppress you. We know that. That's why so much of the Old Testament and the New Testament talks about 
this is how you need to fight against Satan and his demons because they're going to try to take you down. And, and God tells us in the Old Testament and New Testament, don't play around with sorcery and witchcraft because it is real. It is dangerous. And this is one of the reasons, just as a side application here, this is one of the reasons why we are commanded throughout Scripture to be sober-minded. We need to not, listen, man, if you're going to war, and if you're in the trenches with people, you don't want your fellow soldiers to be drunk. They need to be alert. They need to be paying attention. They need to be looking out and seeing where's that gunshot coming from. Right? I don't want to be hanging out with the people who are out of it. I want to be safe, right? I want to, I want to be along people who are, who are staying alert, and I need to be one of those people. And one of Satan's favorite times to possess people and influence them is when they are not there in their head, when they're under the influence of something. This is a reality. When you are high on drugs, when you are drunk on alcohol, you no longer have the capacity to think clearly. You no longer have the capacity to display the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You do not have the capacity to walk, let alone rebuke Satan's advances, right? The reason God doesn't want us getting high or drunk is not because he doesn't want us to have fun, it's because he graciously doesn't want us to destroy ourselves and others. That's the truth. And how does this look in our culture? Well, I would say this. Don't fill your minds with books and websites and movies that revolve around demons and horror and witchcraft and spells and mediums and self-harm and chants and talking to dead people. I used to, you know, I think a lot of people use excuses. I like horror movies because I like the adrenaline rush. I like the way it makes me feel. Boy, I, once I started ministry, I stopped doing that because I started meeting people who were interacting with demons. And I'm like, I don't want to even be close to that. I don't want to touch that. I, and I would tell you this. Watch, guard, be, be alert, be sober-minded when you're using Netflix or whatever you're using. Be alert. I know several people who've been part of our church and in youth group who have experienced unusual demonic phenomenon in their lives because, because they open their lives up to it. They sat, I said, well, what do you do? I just watch horror movies all day. And now I'm scared to death. Well, of course. And now I'm feeling tuggings and I'm feeling these weird things and books are falling off shelves. Well, you're opening your house up to Satan. You need to stop that. That's the truth. It's not a game. And, and uh, Ouija boards are not a game, right? It's real. It's real. Now, of course, right, of course, the, 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 the uh, empirical, scientific, you know, smart side of whatever, humanity is going to say, it's not real. It's all, I'm like, okay, just see where it leads you. Just see where it leads you. I mean, there's a point where God lets us go to his passive wrath. It says, if that's what you want, go. It makes me sad. But I think what we have to do is we do have to be on guard. And thank God, man, that's a, think about it, This is what Jesus died to save us from. <laughs> Why would we go then put a yoke of slavery on us again? 
Um, but this is what was happening. I'm trying to give you, I'm just, so what I'm doing here is I'm painting a picture of this demonic oppression that was permeating the Samaritan people. And Simon the magician was the leader of all of it. And so what did Philip do about it? Right? He's just one guy. Well, verses 12 to 13 say, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So Philip preached to Simon and to the Samaritans the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit led them to repent of their sin, their witchcraft, everything that they were looking to instead of Jesus, and instead to trust in the name of Jesus. And the Samaritans saw, this is what it says, they saw that Jesus Christ's name was greater than Simon's name. That Jesus Christ is the great one with a capital G, not Simon the magician. And even Simon, even Simon admitted this. Simon was amazed by the signs and miracles that Philip was performing, and, and Simon could attribute it only to the fact that Jesus was alive, and Jesus was unleashing his power through Philip. And as a result, Simon believed the gospel along with many or all of the Samaritans. It does, it does, I mean, it's amazing. If you look at this passage, it uses this phrase with one accord several times. And it shows there was a solidarity to the Samaritans just as they were following in witchcraft. Now there's this massive communal transformation in Jesus Christ. And we see that throughout the book of Acts, what we're gonna keep seeing, the next thing that always happens whenever a man or woman trusts in Jesus, is that he or she is then baptized. Jesus commanded Christians to go make disciples and baptize them in his name. We're saved through faith in Jesus, and we celebrate that and dedicate ourselves publicly to Jesus through baptism. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be baptized. It's, it's simple. It's that simple. I'm not saying that because that's, that's Jesus' word, not mine. So please talk to me or one of the other leaders today if, if you need to be baptized. But, okay, now let's, let's just step back for one sec, take a bird's eye view of the passage, and then we're going to take communion. I want you to look at all of the different types of people in today's passage. Saul, the persecutor of Christians, the glad persecutor of Christians. You got the Jews in Judea, it talks about. You got the Samaritans who are engulfed in sorcery. You got Philip, this Hellenistic Jew who's a new Christian. He's preaching the gospel. And you've got Simon, a sorcerer, deeply entrenched in witchcraft. To which of these people did Jesus ever look upon and say, I don't want that one? None. Jesus wants to reach all different types of people with the same gospel message of Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And even after that moment when we trust in this message, we trust in Jesus, we say, okay, Jesus, I trust in you. I'm following you now. What happens? Well, God continues to use the same message to sanctify us. It means to make us more holy like God is. When Saul, the, the, the Christian murderer, would trust in Jesus for salvation, he would need the gospel to remind him 
that Jesus had already suffered on the cross for the horrific things Saul had done to kill and torture Christians. He would need that gospel reminder. When Philip and the Jews in Judea um, would, uh, when they would trust in Jesus for uh, salvation, what would they need? Well, they would need the gospel to remind them they're coming out of Judaism. We need to remember that Jesus is our temple now, right? Um, he's the high priest. He's our perfect sacrifice who alone can make us right with God. We're going to feel tempted to go back and do all the things we used to do because it felt like we were accomplishing our salvation. Now we just need to put our faith totally in Jesus and in everything that he did for us. And, and when the Samaritans would trust in Jesus for salvation, they would need to know that Jesus had died for their wickedness, their, their witchcraft, their sorcery, and now they should follow Jesus alone and follow no other gods besides him. And, and when Simon the sorcerer would trust in Jesus for salvation, he would need to know that Jesus had forgiven him for leading so many people astray he would need to remember the gospel that the victory of over the darkness is totally and only available in Jesus Christ. This was how he made his livelihood. He had to change everything about his life. He could not pursue sorcery anymore. He needed to repent from it every day and pray now for new power. Pray for the power of the resurrected Jesus to work in his life. The, the, the gospel of Jesus is what we need not only to save us, but to sanctify us. And it corrects us and it encourages us, both people who are very religious, who need to be, repent from their religion and their works, and people who are what we call irreligious. Both are rebellious in different ways. Irreligious though, people who are not clinging to uh, religious works as their righteousness. We need the gospel to rebuke us of both. And it is through this preaching of the gospel, through loving our neighbors as Christ has loved us, that our world, um, many people from all nations will be saved. And just think about this. Thank God that Jesus never looked at you and said, that one's not reachable. Thank God Jesus had compassion on us. Thank Jesus that he came. He came down to us. And now you and I need to go out there to them. That's our mission. We need to love them with Jesus' love and tell them about Jesus. And as we prepare to do that this week, we want to take a few minutes to celebrate what Jesus has done for us by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And... Um, before we do that, let's just take a few moments to just kind of be quiet and pray to the Lord individually. And man, if you need to confess sin, and please do that. If, if you need to get right with God, if you do that, if you're trusted in Jesus for the first time, just pray to God, Jesus, I believe, and I need you to save me, and he will. I don't want my sin anymore. I want you, Jesus. So let's just take a few minutes of quiet prayer to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper.